Well, Father, we thank you for freedom that we have through Jesus Christ, the price you paid at the cross, that we could have that freedom. But we thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have in America. And we pray we'll not lose that freedom in any way. Lord, it'll continue to be one nation under God. Lord, we just pray over this weekend, Lord, as many people are gathered to celebrate and do things. Lord, we stand against every uh, spirit of violence and terrorism and pray every spirit like that will be exposed. And everything the enemy tries to do, he'll fall in his own trap and we pass by safely. So we just want to declare freedom over America, Lord. On the count of three, let's just say, God bless America. One, two, three. God bless America. And let's give him a hand clap. And you may go ahead and have a seat before you give your neighbor a fist bump and an explosion. Do something. Ask one of the kids how to do it. They'll tell you. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, anybody got your Bible? Making the bookstores glad and the devil mad. Let's shake them a little bit. Get them up where I can see them. We got a few Bibles. Let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 na. Na. Kind of weak. Na, na. Okay. Repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector. A sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a big shout and a hand clap. Oh, good to be in the right place today. Uh, well, my name is Mike Ulmer, and I'm one of the associate pastors. And Pastor John, who is our senior pastor, and his family, Linnell, are on vacation. They'll be back Wednesday night, so keep them in your prayers. And I am going to continue a message I started last week, Choose Not to Drown build an ark. And so this is part two of building an ark. And we're talking about building an ark in the spirit. We showed a video last week, a guy in the Netherlands, that's literally replicating an ark. I mean, to size and the whole bit, and you can find it on YouTube, and it'll tell you all about it. How And all animals in there, a lot of them that he's had, uh, you know, plastic ones made, like an elephant for about $11,000. And so you can imagine the cost of that whole project. But uh, today we're talking about building a spiritual ark. All right? Now, in Genesis 6.13, this is a little bit of the story. And children, I need you to listen today. I know we don't have kids' church, but uh, if you listen real close, there could be a little quiz afterwards, and I might have some M&Ms to give away for uh, any of you that can answer the right questions here, so we'll see what happens. Verse 13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, covered inside and outside with pitch. So those are the instructions before the flood came and as far as the judgment on the earth. And then Jesus makes mention of this same story again in Matthew 24, which is Jesus talking about the end times, how it's going to be getting tougher in the end times. And we talked last week about the spiritual floodwaters kind of rising, even within the church, and how a lot of us are going through a lot of different things. But in Matthew 24, 37... But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving into marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came, and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, there was a flood. I mean, Noah's preaching and trying to get him in the ark, and the ark was, was sitting there. 
uh, had opportunity. The ark was big enough for more than just his family and all the animals. There was room for other people. And there is a spiritual reign that's even coming to our nation, in a sense. But let's try some. We tried the first service, but it's a little weak. We'll see if this service can do a little better. Hadn't done this since youth ministry. We're going to make some rain, okay? And you are group one, you're group two, you're group three. And when I hold up one finger, you'll continue to do this until I go to the, give you the next one. We've got four things to do. Think we can do that. Okay, children, help them. When I hold up one finger, we'll all practice at once. We do snap your fingers. Snap your fingers. Okay, and you do that until I hold up two fingers, and then you do a golf clap. Kind of a soft golf clap. Okay, and then when I do three, you pat your legs rather briskly. And then when I do four, you stomp your feet. This, we need a gymnasium. This is, we got the acoustics too good in this place. It sucks up all the sound. Okay, we'll try it now. Remember, you keep doing what you're doing until you go to the next person. Okay, group one. Quiet group two. No, no, one means snap your fingers. One, snap your fingers. Yeah, keep doing that, keep doing that. Now we're going to change over here to golf clap. Golf clap. Golf clap. The rain's coming. Three. 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 Four. 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 Okay, we're going to make it go away now. Three. 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 Two. 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 One. 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 All right, the rain came and gone. All right, give yourselves a hand. Now be ready, we could do that at any time, so you got to stay awake. We might have to make some rain, all right? Genesis 6:14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So three things there. First of all, I've got to ask you children, because you weren't here last week, so the, some of the adults already know this answer. He said, make it with gopher wood. What is gopher wood? See, when Noah told his sons, he said, go for wood. Go for wood. Go get... Wake him up and tell, tell him that joke. Tell him, okay, there you go. Go for wood. And what kind of lights? Because this could be the quiz to get some M&Ms. What kind of lights were on the ark? Floodlights. Somebody was here last week. Jumped right in. Floodlights. Everybody got that one? Okay. But make yourself an ark. An ark is a symbol of salvation. And just as Jesus is the only door to go to heaven, he is the only way the way, the truth, and life. There's only one way to, to God, one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ. Just like that ark, there was one door. And that was the only way into that ark. Anyone could come if they would just, uh, just come through those doors. And so an ark is a symbol of salvation. But again, it was big enough for others, okay? So that means you've got to make room for other people. When it said make rooms, you need to make room for other people in your spiritual walk. It's not just about you going to heaven. Okay, and when floodwaters are rising on your job, in your school, things are going tough. And like I said last week, like in your job, everybody's getting maybe laid off and stuff. But they sense something different in you. And it's hope because Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you have a relationship with God, you have hope and you should begin to float above the circumstances because hope floats. There should be something in you people sense or see that can give them hope because you have a relationship. You are an ark. Now you can't, when it says make an ark, you can't really make one, but when you get saved, you become an ark. So look at your neighbor and say, I am an ark. Okay? So that means a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you become an ark. Not just for the saving of yourself, 
but for the saving of others. You need to make room for other people. So you, you make an ark, and the way you do that is you just get saved, and you become one. And number two, it said make rooms. We went over all this last week. That it's not just about you. You're to be a vessel for other people to come to the Lord. And number three, cover it with pitch. The tar-like substance inside and out that would keep this vessel afloat. Otherwise, it would just begin to seep and there would be holes in it and it would eventually seep. Okay? And so it's not just enough to come to the altar and vote for Jesus and then live like the devil the rest of, your, of life. You know, you, once you ask Christ in your life, there's some things you need to do if you want to grow. If you want... Because there's people out there calling themselves Christians and maybe people in this room right now. I mean, you're, you really believe in Jesus Christ, but you're sinking. And that's because you haven't done some just some daily disciplines you need to do. And you grow in the Lord by getting to know Him better. And there's just things you can do. And I went over a few of those things, but pitch is part of it. That word pitch, last week we went over the, the letter P, which is the first letter, and it stands for praise and worship. And we talked about the power of praise and worship, how praise can lift you above the circumstances, how praise will take you from the natural to the supernatural, how praise will bring the presence of God and the presence of God will bring victory, and how praise can silence the mouth of the enemy. You really got to understand. And go back and, and check those notes out. Anytime you can look at any one of our services, you can listen to it, you can download it. You can, uh, if you have an iPhone, we have an app for that. And you can catch that by just going to churchontherock.org. And you can find all, that, all those messages. And I'd go back last week and find out about praise and worship, the power of it. Because we, we looked at a couple of scriptures, one in the Old Testament and New Testament, where Jesus said that out of the mouth of babes, he has ordained praise or ordained strength. And it goes on to say that you may silence the mouth of the enemy. And so praise can literally shut the enemy up. Because when you begin to, spiritual floodwaters rise, and you begin to be under attack, I'm telling you, the enemy's talking all kinds of stuff. And fear's coming in. And he's trying to make your God smaller and those opposition bigger. And when you be in the praise, you begin to magnify the Lord. I'm telling you, the opposition and mountains get smaller and God begins to get bigger. And He can move in the midst of praise. And so praise is a powerful weapon. And the other thing we said about praise, it said out of the mouths of babes, out of children. Now that doesn't mean it's just children's praise, but it means when we become like children. And children are uninhibited. I mean, they don't hold back. They don't care about what people think. Matter of fact, uh, in fact, Pat's granddaughter, Brooklyn, uh, we were sitting and eating with her, just a little girl, and we are in the rec hall, and one of the youth came in. I don't remember if it was a girl or who it was. It was okay, I'm going to say your name, Brittany. And, uh, but she sat down, and, and Brooklyn looks at her and says, your hair's nappy. And it was like Pat kind of overheard and came over there and said, uh, oh, you know, she didn't really mean that. You know, she's just talking about how curly it is. She said, no, Grandma, her hair's nappy. And then my wife comes up the next week, and she looks at my wife and said, you didn't brush your teeth, did you? But she, she had a little lipstick still on her, you know, a little lipstick she wiped off. But I'm telling you, sometimes kids, they don't really think. They don't really care. But what about that in our worship? If we got to that place where we weren't worrying about what people were thinking, and we really just pressed in and just worshiped the Lord and gave Him glory. And even on your job, are you, I mean, there's so many opportunities just to give God glory. When, uh, you know, somebody gives you a, uh, uh, hey, that a boy or a good job, man, there's perfect opportunity to give God the glory. Amen? Okay. So P was praise and worship. I is intercession. 
Okay, it's talking about prayer, standing in the gap, praying for others. Three quick things about prayer we talked about last week. Number one, prayer is a delight to God. Number two, prayer causes your spiritual eyes to be open to see into the spiritual realm. It was a scripture in the Old Testament with Elisha and his servant when they were surrounded by the enemy. And they prayed his eyes be open to see all the, the, the spiritual help they had. And number three, prayer makes a way sovereignly for God to act on the earth. It's through our prayers God moves. And number four, for powerful prayer, you need three things. You need a consistent daily prayer time. You need the Word of God, declaring it out loud in your prayer time. And you need a spiritual prayer journal to keep track of what God's saying, what God's doing. Uh, you can go back and learn more about that. Okay, we're going to move on now. Pitch. P-I, what's the next letter, kids, in the word pitch? T. We got it. All right. Romans 10, verse 14. The T stands for tell them. Say tell them. Okay, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How are they going to hear about Jesus unless someone tells them? Look at your neighbor and tell them you're someone. Unless someone tells them. We need to be telling them. You know, there's a movie that's been out on TV quite a while now. And there's a little boy, and it's kind of one of those that can kind of give you goosebumps. And, and he, the little boy is kind of seeing a lot of things that weren't natural things. And Bruce Willis is looking at him. And then he goes, and the music kind of gets all creepy, and he goes, I see dead people. And you kind of get the goosebumps. Oh. But you know what? I see dead people. You know what? If people are not saved, if they do not have a relationship with the, Lord, with the Lord, according to the Bible, they are dead in their trespasses. They are literally just zombies. They're dead people just waiting to fall off into judgment. And we might be the only person just standing there telling them, hey, wait a minute. I have got some good news. Jesus died on that cross 2,000 years ago so you could have eternal life. But more than that, that he could come right into their life right now and give them peace that they aren't finding in the bottom of a bottle or the end of a joint. They'll only find it through the Prince of Peace. And so you've got to be able to tell them, okay? And realizing that Jesus said almost 2,000 years ago that the fields are ripened to harvest. People are ready. And that was 2,000 years ago. That's like it was at 11 o'clock. And you know what? The clock's going to strike at midnight. And I bet we're about a minute till or just seconds till midnight when Jesus comes back. And he said he'll teach us to be fishers of men. We need to tell them because the time is short. And understand that one person can make a difference. You don't know who it might be that you witness to, that you share, that you invite to church. You don't know who that person is. Listen to this. I know you've heard this story before, but it kind of reminds you of this, the gravity of who you might be uh, talking to. A Sunday school teacher by the name of Mr. Kimball in 1858, he, he led a Boston shoe clerk to give his life to Christ. Okay, That shoe clerk was Dwight L. Moody, great evangelist. And in 1879, his preaching waked up the evangelistic zeal in the heart of Frederick B. Meyer, a pastor of a small church. And F.B. Meyer, preaching on an American campus, brought to Christ a student by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman began to engage in work with the YMCA and there led a young man by the name of Billy Sunday, a baseball player. 
to Christ, who became a great evangelist and had an evangelistic event in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they were, the local men were so excited about the results of that event that they held another one and they invited Mordecai Ham to town to preach. And in that revival, there was a young man sitting there by the name of Billy Graham who heard the gospel and got saved. And just through his ministry from 47 to 77, he spoke to over 53 million people and 1,660,000 people got saved. And that all started with that guy sharing the gospel with a little shoe clerk. And it went on and on. You don't know who that person is that you might be reaching. Amen? And just think while Noah was working. Look at that, look at that. Got my little ark I made last night. Pretty sweet, huh? I'll have to do a drawing for that afterwards. Huh? But you think about Noah. He's building that ark. Hammering away. People walking by. What you doing, Noah? Well... Building an ark. Well, that sounds exciting. Uh, what's an ark? Well, it's this big vessel that's going to hold all these animals and everything. And uh, because there's going to be this great flood, and, I'll, and he's going on and said, You know, God loves you, but you need to get your life right. You're not living for God. You need to get things right because there's this flood. God's going to judge eventually. There really is a heaven and a hell. And he's going on, hammering away, hitting away. But pretty soon, it just stops. But when you're working on your job and you're just hammering away, because I mean, Noah's taking ridicule. I mean, you're building an, an, an ark on dry land. There's not even water anywhere around here. And there's those people, you're, you know, why do you serve God? Why do you go to church? But you might look at them and you, you're realizing, hey, that guy you're working with, you know he's going through a hard time. And you're saying, hey, is everything all right in your marriage? And the guy finally begins to open up. But you don't know when the hammering's going to stop And the rain starts. This rain's coming. We'll just cut it off. Give yourselves a hand clap. But you need to tell them. Say, tell them. Okay, the C stands for church. Say church. Now, there's three things the church can offer to help you keep your boat afloat, okay? Because there's people out there, and maybe you're in this room, and you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, but you feel like you're sinking. Church. You need, I mean, according to God, you need to be planted in the house of the Lord. That means not just jumping around from pot to pot. Find a place where the Lord wants to plant you, and you pray and ask Him, and then you get planted. That means you get committed. And there's three things that the church can help you do when you're planted. I'm talking about a life, living, fruit-producing plant. Not just a weed taking up space. Okay? Look at your name. So you're not a weed, are you? But here's the three things that can help you do. A church can help you be connected, covered, and counseled. Okay? You need to be connected. You really do. It's part of God's plan. He didn't design us to be an island out there by ourselves. He designed us as the body of Christ, where we need each other. And the enemy knows that. That's why this is the... Sometimes the devil just loves to come to church because he knows he can maybe get you offended and keep you from coming. I mean, this is probably the greatest, easiest place to get offended is in church, it seems like. But that's a great bait Satan uses to get you out and get you by yourself. Because his plan is to isolate you. However he does that, he wants to get you by yourself. So you won't become part of a flock. 
Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, okay, as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. So you can come to church, but not really be connected. I mean, you can kind of take up space, but not really be connected. But you need to get connected. I mean, just in that one verse, are you loving people? Are you doing good works? Are you serving in any area? Are you doing something to, to, to help this place be a better place? To help it be more effective in reaching souls? Because God has put a ministry in you. I mean, just repeat after me, I am a minister. See, that's my job is to equip you, according to Ephesians 4, to do the work of the ministry. Okay? So as we work together, we'll see more people come to Christ. But look at 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. See, it's talking about a flock. That, I mean, that analogy means we're sheep. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a sheep. And you need to be part of a flock, and there needs to be a shepherd. Pastor John is a shepherd of this flock. But there's a lot of other shepherds within this church. we got elders, we got small group leaders, we got Sunday school teachers. All of them are shepherds, but you need to be a part of that group. This might be the, the semester you need to find a small group to be a part of. Find a class to be a part of. So you're connected. That way when something goes on in your life, somebody knows. Even as a pastor, we do not read minds. Every once in a while, the Lord might give us something prophetically, a word of wisdom or knowledge. But in most cases, it's up to you to come to the elders of the church. Ask them to anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. Or to get connected somehow. But a church, and we're talking about Jesus is the chief, the chief shepherd. And there's other shepherds in other churches in this community. And we work together. But listen to what it goes on to say. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. All three points are covered there. As far as being connected, being part of a flock, being covered. That's, see, the church can provide a spiritual covering, like an umbrella when you go out in the rain. A church, when you're part of a church, when you really commit and submit. See, there's this whole word, submission. That's kind of a tough thing to talk about in today's day and age. But it's still the way God works. There needs to be order. Even in the home, there needs to be an order in the home with the husband and the wife and the children. And when the children are in rebellion, you get out from under that covering. How many honest enough to say you've experienced being out from under that covering? As an adult when you were a child or, or maybe even as an adult right now or as a teenager. When you get out, when you rebel, when you don't submit to authority, you get out there. And the enemy can work you over. He really can. So you just got to submit again and get back under for God's protection. But a church can provide protection and it can provide counsel. I mean, you can always call and get a counseling appointment. But more than that, most of the counseling happens right out here. Sometimes you get to know somebody beside you. I mean, my mom will come home and say, oh, this is going on in so-and-so's life because they talked as they were sitting there. And she'll be praying for them. I mean, a Sunday school class, the smaller groups, you have a chance to kind of share what's going on. And it's amazing when you come to the altar. I mean, these, all, this altar team, I mean, they're praying for you. And they might start off just praying in their mind, you know, Lord bless this person. But as they pray, it begins to shift. And instead of coming out of their mind, it becomes from the Spirit of the Lord. And it's amazing what they can say at the altar that can give you wisdom or help in your situation. Amen? Has anybody experienced that before? I'm telling you, it's there and it's available. 
Connected, covered, counseled. And the counseling is important because in Proverbs 11, 14, it says where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And we have a, even a class to help you connect. It's called the Connect class. Isn't that novel? That it can help you connect. But you need to get a part of that. That way you can just learn some of these basic things. And also, you can meet with one of our coaches, do a spiritual gifts test. That way you can find out what your gifting is and get involved so you can begin to serve and really be a healthy, fruit-producing plant in the house of the Lord. Amen? So uh, we usually start that this Wednesday, but because of our Wednesday night, we're having this uh, special series on hearing God's voice. We're kind of putting that on hold a little bit, but we'll have a class coming up shortly. Okay, now the last letter in the word pitch is what letter, kids? The letter H. And what does it stand for? Somebody knows it for service. Humility. Say humility. 1 Peter 5, 5, we just read it. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride will sink your boat. I'm telling you, you can be going through life doing good. You let pride get in, bloop, 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 you start going down. I'm telling you, you'll head down with pride. Listen to what Proverbs 16, 18 says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In the Message Bible, it says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Pride can be the biggest hindrance to our spiritual walk. It really can. It keeps us from worshiping like we should. It keeps us from responding to altars like we should. It keeps us from bowing our knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's amazing possibly how many people have come through these doors, heard the good news, the message of the gospel, and then somehow pride kept them from either raising their hand or coming to an altar. And they're still in that same rut, still in bondage, when freedom was right here. If they'd have just, if they'd have just dropped their pride. And the thing is, it seems like, especially in East Texas, I mean, there's even a lot more of this. Why? Because there's just a lot of men, which is a good thing. But, I mean, we can fix anything with some wire and some duct tape. I mean, there's nothing we can. I can fix it myself. You know, I'll, I'll weld this thing myself. We end up, you know, blowing a big hole in it, spending more money than we need to try to fix something. But there's just kind of a pride, and it's not always a bad thing. But I'm telling you, especially in Texas, because we're so proud of our big state. Everything's bigger in Texas. Matter of fact, there was a Texan that died. I didn't know if you knew this. He went to heaven, and St. Peter met him there, and he was at the pearly gates. And St. Peter's excited about showing him around heaven, and old Bob from Texas, he's there, and he's all excited, and, and St. Peter says, man, look out there, all those rolling hills and grass, all that vast area, isn't that beautiful? And so that's great, but nothing like Texas. I'm telling you, you can look in Texas, and it's just rolling, it's just as big as can be. And he goes on, he said, well, what about those, that sky? I mean, look at the stars. I mean, just huge stars. Oh, nothing like a sky in Texas. I mean, you see forever and ever, those stars are so big. I'm telling you, Texas is just awesome, wonderful. He said, well, what about that deer and that, that little fawn by the lake there? I mean, isn't that just a beautiful picture? Oh, nothing like Lake Texarkana. I mean, you see the deer out there and the sunsets there over the lake. Oh, they're just beautiful in Texas. And finally, St. Peter's getting a little upset. And so he takes Bob and he walks him right over to the edge of heaven. Gets right on the very edge of heaven. And they look down to that place where all the fire is. And the devil lives, you know, that bad place. And it's just fire and, and just huge and massive, you know, just fire and flames and heat. 
And St. Peter looks back at Bob and says, Now, I bet you don't have anything like that in Texas, do you? He said, nah, No, we don't. But I know a couple guys in Houston that could put that out for you. <laughs> so anyhow, let's look at James 4.1. This verse is kind of long, so follow with me. But everything in this verse has to do with pride. These problems are because of pride. James 4.1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Powerful scripture on spiritual warfare right there. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. I'm going to come to back to this, but the end there about how to fight pride, a lot of times it's fighting in the opposite spirit. But if you allow pride to seep into your life, cause your boat to sink, I'm telling you, this is what pride can do in your life. This is all from these verses. These are points that I got from a pastor by the name of John Barnett. Here's what pride will do. Pride poisons my relationships. Pride pollutes my life. Pride produces anxiety in my life. Pride plunders my prayers. Pride provokes God's enmity. Pride prevents my spiritual growth. All things, just in that little verse in James, all things that pride does. But when you go the opposite way and pride is resisted, this is what humility does. Humility prompts the grace of God. Humility provides the deliverance of God. Humility prospers intimacy with God. Humility promotes cleansing from God. And humility prepares us success through God. I'm telling you, pride is the sin God hates most, sees first, and wants us to hate. John 30, 30. John the Baptist said this as far as the coming of Jesus. He said, Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. I mean, that needs to be our prayer, that Christ is becoming greater and we become less. Are you a proud person? I want you to think a minute. I've kind of put up a blank canvas right now, and you could say, oh, pride, and you can just kind of let it go right over your head. Oh, that doesn't pertain to me. Oh, pride, I don't really know what that is. But let me kind of paint a little better picture of that. Are you pretty impressed with yourself, your abilities, your gifts? Are you impressed with your level of education, your accomplishments, your physical condition? Are you impressed with your success, your position in life? Do you love human praise? Are you filled with a false humility that pats people on the back, that kind of says what you think they want to hear, and you have this kind of spiritual act you do? Does your mouth get you in trouble? Are you double-tongued? Are you unteachable? You know, if you answered yes to any of those questions, there could be a chance you might have a little pride there. And if so, you're a proud person. And pride exists when you have an exaggerated view of yourself and when your behavior is arrogant. Pride is when everyone and everything else has to revolve around you. 
Pride is when self is the center of everything. And pride is when ego gets out of line and wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Pride is when you believe you can live your life the way you want to. Pride is when you feel you can live by a different set of rules on your job, at home, in your spiritual life. Pride defies accountability. I want you to catch that one. Pride defies accountability. You don't want anybody speaking to your life. Pride tries to cut corners. Pride tries to make others look bad by casting suspicion on them while trying to make yourself look better. Pride believes if you walked out, everything that you were involved in would suddenly fall apart. And pride is when you're so impressed with who you are and what you do in your life. But you know what? The keys to getting God's attention is humility. I'm telling you, when you feel, I mean, there's times you feel like, man, I just need to bow up. I need to take a stand here. I need to tell them what's up. I'm telling you, sometimes you need to do just the opposite. And you need to just humble yourself. And then let God come in and give you more grace. Because what you need in the situation is grace, God's ability for you to respond properly and His wisdom. Now, again, the pathway to being constantly showered with God's grace is humility. Okay? And can you say these words that... I want Christ to increase and I want to decrease. Can that be the, the desire of your heart today as we get ready to close? Because just as pride, think about this, just as pride is behind every conflict we have with other people, every problem of fellowship we have with the Lord, so humility is behind every harmonious relationship and every spiritual success and every moment of great fellowship with God. That's what humility can do. God opposes the proud, he hates pride. And it's what got the devil kicked out of heaven. Think about it. I want to be like God. I, I, when you start hearing yourself saying I, and we've all been around those people where you hear just too much, I did this, and even in our politicians, well, I did this. I'm telling you, we've got to watch out for pride. And again, I want to remind us, sometimes you've got to fight in the opposite spirit. I'd heard, I uh, went to a street meeting conference uh, quite a while ago, and they were talking about doing street ministry in Hollywood and how they had this band, and, and, and they knew some music that was going to get people's attention and kind of change the words, and, and they were all pumped up and excited. They got the right there on Hollywood, uh, one of the avenues there, and they, they set up, and they were playing, and it was like they were hitting a wall. People were mocking them, throwing stuff at them, and they were just getting nowhere. And it was like the Lord spoke to his heart. He says, you're full of pride, and you need to humble yourself. And so they just shifted gears totally got on their knees, just began to, just to pray out loud, ask God to you know, just cleanse them, forgive them, and, and they began to do some worship, and man, things just shifted. They had a powerful, powerful meeting. People just began to gather around. And I had that story. We went out, uh, I went with a guy with the power team, and we went and did some things out at FCI prison. It was many years ago. But it was in the middle of that, we're doing all these power feeds, breaking bricks, and we're breaking bats, and blowing up all water bottles, doing all that stuff. And when you're doing power feeds, you're, you can be right on the edge of the whole pride thing. Because it's kind of, I mean, it's a great tool. You can get people's attention. They, they kind of watch and you get their attention. But also you're kind of right there, you know, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. And there was a time I just had to kind of step away from them. But we were out there doing these things and it was like, man, there was a spiritual wall. And then there was these uh, Muslims trying to get all their people out of there and there was just all sorts of spiritual resistance. And it was almost like, I mean, a lot of these prisoners had their pride and they were all buffed from working out and that's all they had to do and, and we're trying to do that. And finally, the Lord just quickened that story to me about that guy in Hollywood. And I said, okay. I just got on my knees right then. I just lifted my hands. I just began to pray. You know, Lord, just forgive us. 
for just trying to be out here showing off. Lord, that's not our purpose or our point. Lord, and just begin to pray, humble yourself, do a little worship song. Man, the presence of God came, things totally shifted. And you know, it can do that even in your marriage, in other relationships. You know, last Sunday morning, I don't know if you're here, but did the message Saturday night, felt like it went good. Sunday morning, I am reading scriptures, and in this, while I'm reading, I'm getting these thoughts. Man, is my wife upset with me? I mean, I was just having this battle. Because right before we came to church, she asked for something, and I kind of raised my voice a little bit like, you know, how do I know if there's any cream? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to preach the word of the Lord. I mean, don't interrupt me here. I'm trying to focus. And, uh, and you know, it was no big deal. But, I, but then when she didn't talk to me on the way to church, I thought, well, maybe I kind of raised my voice too much more than I think, because I don't always realize that all the time. And then when I asked Pastor Joe, I said, Pastor Joe, go back and get my wife so she can do the welcome. And he comes back and says, she doesn't want to do it. And I said, oh, Lord, she is upset. And I'm reading scriptures, and I almost, and you know what I could have done right then instead of having that battle? I should have just stopped and said, okay, congregation, would somebody go find my wife so I can apologize and humble myself right now, you know, in front of everybody that this message go well. But I come to find out later, she wasn't upset. We were missing some people, and she didn't say she didn't want to do it. She just couldn't do it. And so everything was all right. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to humble yourself. You know, I begin to realize uh, young men that get married, after a while, it seems like they start getting kind of this little belly on them. And I, I, I thought it was maybe a beer belly, but a lot of the guys don't drink, so it's not that. But what it is, I found out, it's from swallowing our pride. And when you get married, we have to swallow a lot of pride, don't we? Any married people out there? Amen? Hallelujah. We either got some pride or some bellies out there laughing. I don't know which it is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, watch how this is going to shift real quick. Because I'm done. That's all there is. And I want you to think a minute about pride. Does it have a hold on you? Or is it one of those things you don't want to have to battle with, that you want God's grace and mercy? Well, if that's you, I just come kneel at the altar. need to kneel where you're at, but some of you might need to take a walk. I remember the first time I just lifted my hands to worship the Lord when I hadn't before, how something just broke in my life. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy. Hallelujah. I want you to think back over these messages and these different points. Maybe you need a better understanding or be more inhibited, uninhibited in your praise and worship and just talk to the Lord about that. Maybe your prayer life's not what it needs to be and it needs to shift more from just praying about you and your needs. Begin to understand that uh, God knows what you need and maybe it's time to begin to do a little more intercession and standing in the gap and praying for other people and, and, and really taking your prayer life to another level and asking the Lord to help you there. Or maybe, you're in, maybe you don't really have a home church and it's time to really get committed and planted in a church. Or you're here, but it's time to get connected and, and, and to find that place where God wants you to, to serve. And the other one was just that, just that pride. 
and just really letting God. And don't let pride stop you from this next question I'm going to ask, because this is a very, very important one. If you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? There's an ark for you. There's a way of escape from judgment. And it's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God won't force his way into your life. It's like that door's open. Like on that ark, when Noah was totally done building that ark, that door was open, and there were seven more days before the rain came. It's like whosoever will come through those doors, you're welcome to. And today, if you don't know where you'd spend eternity, and you want to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you want to get things right with God, on a count of three, I want you to hold your hand up. And by holding up your hand, got people raising their hand already. Anybody else? You need to get things right with God? Young people too. Children, you're welcome to if you haven't. Anybody else? You need to get right with God or invite Him in for the first time or just get back on track. I see your hand. God bless you. Amen. One back there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Because you don't know when that hammering's going to stop. I want our altar team to come up. If, if uh, those of you want to stay at the altar, you can. If you're one of our altar team and you're at the altar, you can stand up and turn around and or just you're welcome to stay there as long as you want. Because here's the thing. I know God's got, especially young people, there's some, there's some people in this room with just some great ability and God's got some big things for you, but you really need to have him help you in that pride area so you can continue to give him the glory and just be somebody that, that serves and just really begins to allow God to move in your life. But our altar team comes up. We're going to stand and just sing through a song. And we'll sing through it one time, then we'll dismiss anybody. But if you raised your hand to get things right with God, or you know you needed to raise your hand, I want you to come up and go over to that cross over there. Jeff's over there. He's got some material for you. Some of our altar team will come over there and pray with you. So when we stand, you just go right to that cross if you need to get things right with God. And everybody else, as you stand, if you need to come into agreement with somebody, uh, if you got a, a health situation you want prayer for. Matter of fact, somebody came up to me earlier and said somebody has a, a problem with their right hip. And matter of fact, right when he said that, I realized my right hip was hurting. And it's not hurting anymore. But I really felt that was for somebody else. And so if you're sick in your body, we'll pray with you. If there's a situation uh, in a relationship, if, you're, uh, if you need some wisdom, whatever it is, these people will begin to pray for you. Amen? So as we stand on our feet, they can go ahead and play. And if you want prayer for anything, come down. And we'll pray for that need. And kids, before you leave, uh, me or somebody will be over on that side and you can come get your M&Ms, but you're gonna have to answer a question or two, okay? All right, thank you, Jesus. Go ahead. Just be to come to the altar for prayer for anything.